Brown Girl Radiance celebrates the brilliance of women of color through reflective conversations and stories. I'm your host, Pure Brown Joy. Hello to all of my radiant friends. I'm so excited to highlight another incredible black woman as part of our Brown Girls Abroad series. But first, I want to say happy Black History Month. Lift every voice and sing till earth and heaven ring. For my listeners who are not black, that is the first line of the Black National Anthem, which was a beautiful song, one of my favorite songs actually, written by the brothers James Weldon Johnson and John Rosamond Johnson. Brown Girl Radiance podcast is meant to be a platform that is a perpetual celebration of Black women, Black people, and Black culture. Black history is our lifestyle and our existence. If you are a Black person who's listening to this podcast right now, and you woke up this morning, you are Black history. Storytelling is a part of our oral tradition, so I love providing a figurative fireplace for us to gather around and share. Beyond Black History Month, I enjoy hearing the inspirational stories of our current and former trailblazers. It is important that we consistently acknowledge our resilient and brilliant ancestors, as well as the modern day innovators and disruptors who are creating paradigm shifts and impacting their local communities and spheres of influence. Black people have so much pride during this time and it's also a moment for reflection. I hope you've been able to enjoy it and celebrate in whatever way feels right for your spirit. Black history should be celebrated 365 days a year. And as a culture, we choose to celebrate ourselves every day. So for us, this month is just a time to amplify the message of Black excellence, Black heritage, Black achievement, Black culture, Black existence, despite slavery, Jim Crow, systematic racism, and over 400 years of injustice that we have endured. Black History Month has only been officially recognized by the U.S. government for 45 years. It started as Negro History Week in 1926 by educator, author, historian, and Harvard graduate, Dr. Carter G. Woodson. You can Google him to find out more about all of his expansive work. Negro History Week was celebrated during the second week of February because that was the birth week of abolitionist Frederick Douglass and Abraham Lincoln. This summer, I mentioned the contributions of Frederick Douglass's first wife, an intelligent Black woman named Anna Murray Douglass. Please Google her. Negro History Week was very successful, which led to a push for Black History Month. So 50 years after Negro History Week started, in 1976, President Gerald Ford became the first president to acknowledge February as Black History Month. Then 10 years later, in 1986, the celebration of Black History Month became a congressional law. So technically, it's only been a law for 35 years. We appreciate the support that allies give during this time, but as evidenced by the diversity and and inclusion and equity initiatives that are currently taking place throughout corporate America and our nation, the dimensions that define Black history and Black culture have to be normalized in our society, not just relegated to a month. So while this Black History Month is coming to a close, the daily celebration and the education continues. I've shared in past episodes that I highly recommend a podcast called Black History Bootcamp. 
The hosts are Morgan Dixon and Vanessa Garrison, who are the founders of an incredible organization called Girl Trek. Their mission is to encourage Black women to walk for 30 minutes a day for five days a week as a form of radical self-care and for their long-term health. Girl Trek made history last year with over a million Black women who have committed to walking daily, including myself. Black History Bootcamp launched in June of 2020, and they have had three seasons, and the newest season starts on March 1st. I would love to interview Morgan and Vanessa on Brown Girl Radiance podcast. So if anyone has any connections, let me know. Black History Bootcamp is such a powerful podcast and it will refresh your spirit and your mind. Also, one detail worth noting is that none of the seasons have fallen during the month of February because, as I mentioned earlier, our stories should be shared all the time. My favorite Black History moment from this month was seeing Rodgers and Hammerstein's Cinderella starring Brandy Norwood and Whitney Houston become available on a streaming platform, Disney+. Plus. I loved this version of Cinderella so much that my sister bought me the DVD and the VHS when she worked at Toys R Us back in the day, and I still have both of them. I'm just overjoyed knowing that a new generation of black and brown girls will get to see themselves in such a regal way. I had a chance to meet Brandy a few years ago and I brought her a special Cinderella themed gift with her name embroidered on it. And I told her, you are my favorite princess. I was so excited about this movie being released on streaming that the day before I hosted my first ever Instagram live session. It was a throwback Thursday birthday karaoke night for Brandy's birthday, which is on February 11th. I played a portion of Brandy's massive catalog and we had a blast. So I might host another similar event in the future. And in case you missed it, it's available on my IG TV station at Brown Girl Radiance Podcast. Now moving on to this current installment of the Brown Girls Abroad series, I'm honored to introduce you to Paige Merrill, who is a missionary in Australia, currently serving as a part of an organization called Youth with a Mission, also known as YWAM. Her current assignment is in the city of Toowoomba. We recorded this episode during the last quarter of 2020, but all of the conversation is still very relevant. Paige offers some amazing insight, and even as I was editing this episode, I felt encouraged and refreshed by her testimony. This summer, she will be transitioning into a different base assignment in Perth, Australia, where she'll be training in their birth attendance school. During this interview, you will hear Paige's infectious laugh and her passion for her calling as a missionary. On the season opener for Brown Girl Radiance podcast, I interviewed Lisa McQueen, who is a missionary in Uganda who started a school there. If you have not had a chance to listen to that episode, I definitely encourage you to go back and check it out. Uh, And I actually met my next guest at a fundraising event that Lisa hosted back in January. And uh, this guest is really dope, very creative, and is a missionary over in Australia. So I'm very excited and honored to welcome Paige Merrill to Brown Girl Radiance Podcast. Hi. <laughs> Hi. (laughs) (laughs) 
So Paige, I believe that everyone has a story and I'm excited to find out more about your journey to Australia. But before we dive into that, I would love for you to share with all of my radiant friends, that's what I call my listeners, uh, where you are from and also if you can just highlight your background. So I grew up in Michigan and I moved to Florida in 2010. Um, Yeah, I have four siblings, three older brothers, one younger sister. All of us are adopted. I have both of my parents are white and then two of my brothers are white. And then I have a black sister and a black brother. Um, I got my degree in biology and it was just a bachelor's degree. And yeah, I've just always wanted to help people and do missions. Awesome. Well, it sounds like you come from a beautifully diverse background and and household. And I just also want to say getting a bachelor's in biology does not sound like a small feat. That's a huge (laughs) accomplishment. (laughs) So before God sent you to Australia uh, for your work there, had you done any type of missionary work or traveled abroad before? Yeah, I did. Um, I did my first missions trip in eighth grade, and it wasn't overseas. It was in West Virginia, which at the time, it seemed like a different country to me coming from (laughs) Michigan. Um, Yeah, and then in college, I went to China and Trinidad, and then after college, I went to Puerto Rico, and um, I went to Mexico one time, but that wasn't missions. It was just for fun. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Nothing wrong with that. Well, sounds like you have um, done a lot of different types of missionary experiences. And, uh, and actually, it's kind of funny that you said West Virginia seemed like a different country at the time because I actually in college did like a two-week leadership program in uh in West Virginia and uh yeah it definitely felt like a different country to me as well (laughs) so uh, but if anybody from West Virginia is listening hello (laughs) (laughs) yeah it's very different from Michigan (laughs) (laughs) so how did you know that God was calling you to Australia, and what was your process to get there? Um, God mostly speaks to me through dreams and visions. So there were definitely dreams and visions. Um, Yeah, and it was just things that, like, didn't make sense. Like, um, Like, for instance, when I officially decided that I was going to go to Australia. I was so nervous to tell my parents and their reactions, they were just like, oh, that's fine. I was like, wait, what? (laughs) (laughs) Like, because so many missions trips, they like would always be like, what about money? And we would just argue and they didn't do that at all. Like, they were just like, oh, it's fine. God will provide. And I was like, oh, okay. That's, that's a weird reaction. <laughs> yeah, and like, um, it was just a really, this process of me just knowing. Like, I, I just knew that I knew that I was supposed to go to Australia. And like, it was basically, hap- it happened at this time in my life where I had graduated with my bachelor's and I was moving towards um, becoming a physician assistant. So kind of basically like a nurse practitioner. 
Um, yeah, I was moving towards that and I absolutely hated what I was doing. And, um, in church, like I was on the dance team and I noticed that all of the artsy, like creative things I was doing, I absolutely loved. And then like the other things I was doing, I was like, I hate this and I don't know why I'm doing this. And, um, so I went to this church camp I grew up going to, and it's with like the missionary church. So every, every day, I think it's like one or two weeks long and every day at like two in the afternoon or something, a missionary would come up and like basically just say what they're doing and raise support. And I had heard of YWAM before, which is like youth with a mission. I heard of it before cause I went to a Christian university. Um, and I was like, Oh, okay. Like maybe I don't know what I want to do. And I know I love missions, so I just decided to talk to some of the missionaries and ask what they were doing. And I just remember, like, just going back to the cabin I was in and lying in my bed and being like, God, I don't know what I'm supposed to do. And he just spoke so clearly about uh, about going to youth with a mission and doing something with the arts and doing something to fight human trafficking. And so then that's when I just researched different programs in, in Youth with a Mission and um, where I am now, which is YWAM Toowoomba, it came up. And so then I applied for the discipleship training school, uh, specifically for creative justice, because it was fighting human trafficking. So yeah, and that's how it started. And then it was just a lot of like, steps of faith and sometimes crying and doubting and being like, Oh, what am I doing? And like, and then other times being super confident again and yeah, just leaning on God. Amen. I think that definitely is a, is a great way to encapsulate our overall journey with God, Mm -hmm. no matter, you know, what the path might be sometimes whether it's going abroad or even just what he might be calling you to in your local community. So, so definitely can connect to and relate to, to that. And since you brought up youth with a mission, I know that you're a part of the, the YWAM school of worship and prayer. And, and you alluded to uh, some of the work that you're doing. So can you share a little bit more about some of the, projects that you've been involved with while while you're there, while you've been there? Yeah. Um, So basically, to staff at a YWAM base, you need to do a discipleship training school. It's, well, it depends what base you go to, but at this base, it's five months long. And then after you do that, you would do a staff internship to become like full-time staff. And so I'm in my staff internship and it's at this base, cause every base is different. It's this one specifically, it's broken up into three different roles and they're each six months long. So in total, the internship is 18 months long. And my first role, I staffed a discipleship training school And so what that looks like is uh, grading students' homework, uh, mentoring students. So you're assigned specific students. You mentor the entire time uh, of lecture phase because we have two different phases. We have lecture and then we have outreach phase. And then for outreach phase, you're still supposed to like meet with them and mentor. And for outreach, you actually co-lead an outreach to another country. So I co-led an outreach to Timor-Leste and um, Darwin. And it's kind of funny because like, I didn't know that Timor-Leste even existed before I was like, before I was assigned it. I just didn't know that that was a real place. Um, Yeah. And so I co-led an outreach there. And then after that, I was kitchen manager on the base. 
And so I would order the food for everyone. I was in charge of, yeah, just like the kitchen budget. I would cook lunch and dinner on the weekdays and uh, basically just be in charge of like enforcing rules if people didn't follow them and um, yeah, keeping the kitchen and dining area nice. And then after that, I had, it was maybe like a month or two before the School of Worship and Prayer started where I was helping out with projects around the base. So that would be like, um, like varnishing the deck or like I was, was in charge of redoing the art room and um, the veranda. So just like delegating different roles with that. And now I'm on School of Worship and Prayer. And so for School of Worship and Prayer, we have every weekday, we have prayer rooms in the morning that we lead at a church, a local church in town, which is so much fun because we get to actually like see more people and like I volunteer on child's care and greeting and it's just really fun interacting with different people. And then we also have prayer room on Thursday nights that's just for the school. So like people who are on staff that aren't in the school don't attend that. And then we also have intercession that we lead on Fridays and it's the same thing. It's also just for the school. Um, yeah, and then we just have lectures and we have different work duties around the base that we do. And uh, two days a week, every other week, we also teach English to refugees in the area. Wow. It sounds like you're doing uh, a lot of work and making an impact on the community there, which is which is beautiful. And so as a black woman living in Australia, have you felt welcomed by the community there? Are there any stereotypes or racism that you've encountered? And what has the cultural learning experience been like for you? Yeah, I would say overall I felt welcomed, but I've also definitely encountered racism and just ignorance, honestly. Um, I know, like, for me, sometimes just, like, walking down the street or something, like, someone will just flick me off or, yeah, just, like, people are just really rude. Um, and I've definitely, like, been called the N-word before. And, um, yeah, that's been hard. I think it's it's just a process like of me coming before God and like I don't want to get bitter and like I want to understand where people are coming from and I also want to um, still like have the right perspective I guess like realize that my fight isn't against flesh and blood and like Jesus encountered things like that as well. And like, even in the Bible, he tells us that people will hate us. So like, so if he tells us that it's not really very surprising. Um, but yeah. And I guess like a cool thing that's come out of it is like, um, some people here like have asked me, have just like made ignorant comments, like asked like annoying questions. And like, at first I would have probably just been like, okay, I don't like you and just like not talk to them. But because we live together, I'm like, okay, I have to actually address this because it would just suck. Like having tension, I hate tension. And so out of addressing it, we actually are like way better friends than we would have been if I didn't address it. And like, now we can have like open, honest conversations about race and it's fine. Like, it's just such a safe place now with actually like addressing 
ignorance and yeah. Yeah. Wow. That's actually a really beautiful testimony. Cause when you, when you mentioned that you've been called the N word, I was going to ask how you responded to that, but then you went on to share a very sound biblical Christian response to it, which I'm sure is not been easy, but it's beautiful to hear how, how God is still moving in your heart and in your mind and how you are able to still be that light in the community and hopefully also help to change the hearts and minds of others as well. And what was the response in Australia to all of the racial injustice in the U.S. that was brought to light this summer that, of course, we always knew existed, but it was placed on a global stage by the George Floyd incident? I didn't really see, um, like, a lot of riots here. Like, I only heard of riots more so in bigger cities, so, like, Sydney or... Melbourne, um, but something that I thought was really interesting was seeing a lot of aboriginals actually, like, rioting, like, being the rioters, because, like, here, like, yeah, there's Africans, but it's just not, like, it's not nearly as diverse, I would say, as America. Like, it's just not the same thing. Um, especially where I live, because it's not the biggest city. So it's just not going to be as diverse. Um, but it's just been really, really interesting and cool to see Aboriginals standing up, because when I think of the term, like, Black people, I, like, automatically, I'll associate it with, like, African Americans or even Caribbean Americans. And so to see, like, aboriginals, like, standing up against, like, injustices when the whole George Floyd thing happened, I was like, wow, this, this is so cool to see and really convicting for me personally because I've had such a, I guess, like, such an ignorant mindset or maybe, yeah, I think that would be a good way to put it of just, like, only viewing Black people as, like, African-Americans, whereas, like, um, like Indians can identify with that. Um, Eastern Asian people can identify with that. Aboriginals can identify with that. So many people can identify with that. It's so much bigger than I realized it was, which is just, like, it's so cool just to see the unity in that. And it was just like, it was also really interesting being here at this space when that was happening because um, at the time it was only me and my other friend who were like the only two black people here. And um, she, I'm the only African-American. So, <laughs> so it was just interesting, like the different perspectives and just like, I think it honestly just really was good to good at opening up those conversations. Like because of that, we were able to have conversations and people would ask me more questions. Like, does this offend you when I say this? Or I don't know. It was just cool in that regard. And like I did uh, this prayer night one time for it. No, two times. Yeah. I did this these prayer nights for it. And it was just really cool to see people actually like showing up and being really passionate and just having real conversations and being like, oh, actually like a lot of people are ignorant. Like, yes, there's racism, but also there's a lot of ignorance. And yeah, it was really interesting. Yeah, I, I absolutely agree with you. I think one of the benefits that has come out of all of this is that it's opening up conversations everywhere. And I even personally have found myself leading some of those conversations with allies. And I think that, you know, when you create that 
open space, that safe place for people to feel like they can ask the questions. That is really how we can continue to move forward and continue that fight for justice and be able to bring other people along with us. And like you said, prayer, all of, all of those things are definitely essential to the process as well. But yeah, I would definitely say that's a benefit. And to your point about the Aboriginal people, yeah, I, I believe that Black people throughout the diaspora, you know, we're just so rich and, and diverse and, 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 and beautiful. So, so I think that that's why, like, no matter what dimension of Blackness people might identify with, we all still have that connection. Yeah, that's cool. So another headline that has actually united our, our world in some ways is, of course, covid so can you share what your quarantine experience has been like or how COVID has been managed in, in the area where you're currently residing and, and also maybe any insight you can share about Australia as, as a whole? And additionally, as an American, what is it like for you to observe how COVID has been handled thus far in the U.S.? Mm. Mm. Yeah, and so in Toowoomba, there haven't been a lot of cases, like, yeah, and I think the government here has handled it really well, honestly. We haven't needed to wear masks, like some people would wear masks, um, but it hasn't been like a huge outbreak here. It's definitely affected ministry though um, because now we can't like before we would go overseas and um, we would have a lot of overseas students here and we've completely had to change how we do ministry and it makes a lot of sense, you know, with like a missions organization, but yeah, it's just been so different changing all of that. And as far as like Australia as a whole goes, it just, I don't know. I feel like it just fluctuates one day the borders are closed to this state because like Australia it's broken up into states I think there's like eight states or something like that so it's broken up into states and like one day like like Victoria for instance is a state so like the border might be um close to Victoria so I can't go in Victoria people can't go out like something like that or maybe another day it'll be open. So it fluctuates as in like, I don't know, like what borders will be closed or what borders will be open. Um, yeah. And like right now it's just harder. Um, it's harder to like get back in the country, like not so much leaving the country, but I mean, leaving is hard too, honestly, but yeah, I think it would be harder to just get back in the country with the borders and everything. So things have just changed so much with that. And like, we've ended up just doing more like local outreach instead of traveling. And yeah, it's just changed a lot <laughs> for sure. That makes sense. Okay. Well, and so I, I do want to ask you a question because you said something really interesting about Australia being eight states, essentially, which I didn't know. Uh, yeah. So so now, what state is is your city located in? It's in Queensland. Okay. Yeah. And it sounds kind of like, in some ways, similar to, to the U.S. in that each state essentially has set its own standards and phases mm -hmm. around how to manage COVID 
some better than others. <laughs> so, <laughs> so for you, I, I know that you're in like a smaller city there. So mm-hmm. as an American, like how has it been for you to observe how COVID's been handled here? Like all of the emotions, probably. (laughs) (laughs) I think (laughs) sometimes I get really angry. (laughs) I'm like, ah! (laughs) And then then other times I just get so sad. (laughs) Because I'm just like, I love my country. Why? Why are people this way? And so, so yeah, it definitely makes me want to pray more because I feel helpless. <laughs> like, I can't do anything. God's the only one who can do anything, so I might as well pray. <laughs> Amen. So it sounds like you're you're feeling exactly how we feel over here, which is just continuing to stay prayerful. Yeah, that's all you can do. so switching gears just a little bit what has been the most rewarding experience about being a missionary in Australia and also uh, you may have kind of already alluded to this a little bit but what has been the most challenging experience for you I think I'm going to answer the question with like one story is that cool oh go for it Okay. Cool. Your Tell my sister. Go for it. <laughs> I just thought of it. <laughs> um, yeah. So basically, we were in a village for like two weeks, and the first week, I was like, "Oh, this is awesome!" <laughs> I was like, "Everybody's like getting along, yay!" <laughs> and there was just so much peace. And I was like, wow, like, I felt like it was so different from what I was expecting. I thought it was going to be crazy and chaotic. And I was like, ah, and it ended up just being like peaceful. And then part of me was like, okay, this isn't going to last. So I might as well enjoy it. And so the first week was like that, just like super peaceful and fun and nice being away. And then the second week was just like, so hard so hard like I I probably cried like every night like I don't even know I cried so much um (laughs) the second week because like when you're in the village like you don't have wi-fi you're like in the middle of nowhere basically and like when you're in the staff internship they assign you to a mentor and I would meet with my mentor like every week and um obviously I couldn't really do that (laughs) when I was on outreach (laughs) and um so yeah I just felt like the people that like my go-to people that I would talk to I was like I have no one (laughs) like I literally have no one but you Jesus (laughs) and like so I just dealt with like I felt a lot of isolation and rejection like rejection specifically like there were things that happened with a few of the students and um yeah like one literally said she didn't like me so (laughs) there's rejection (laughs) but yeah it was just a lot of rejection and a lot of isolation and so I would just cry and talk to God and literally like like cry talking to him (laughs) and um then in the middle of the week, I, this girl, like we were, basically what we were doing was we were staying at um, this house that like YWAM, so Timor-Leste, it's like divided. So you have East Timor and you have West Timor. And we were in East Timor and there's a YWAM base out there and they have this house that they would go to whenever they do outreach in the village. And so we were staying with them and there were a few students there and staff there. And one of the students, uh, one of the Timorese students, she found this baby chick one day and I was, uh, of course, I love animals so much. Like it's, 
I just love them. Like, I'm just the biggest animal person, animal lover. And so, of course, my reaction, I'm like, oh, my gosh, a baby. And so I was so excited to see the baby chicken. Um, Then we were like, you should put her back with her mom. And so then they went to try and find, like, the chickens, like the mom, and they couldn't find it. So then we ended up just taking care of it. And I remember just, like, like I got so attached to that baby chick because <laughs> I just felt like when I would try with some of the students, when I would try to, like, reach out or when I would try to help, like, I just, it was, like, rejection after rejection after rejection. I was, like, what? I don't understand. And um, here was this, like, helpless animal that, like, if I didn't take care of her or if nobody took care of her, like she would literally just die. And so then I was like, um, so then I just like spent whatever time I wasn't like taking care of the students or like bleeding or whatever. I would just spend taking care of the baby chick. And um, yeah, it was just like what I needed. Like, I feel like God just, sent that animal to me like when I needed just to feel loved and to feel wanted and to feel like someone actually needed me and so um it was just literally perfect timing and I feel like that was such a such a god thing and so we're so fast forward to the end of the week it's like Sunday and I'm getting ready for church and um, then I go out, they moved the baby chick to like another house on the property. And so then I went to find her and she was just completely like sprawled out and like, she was just dying basically. And I was like, what, <laughs> like what happened? And I was usually like, I was always trying to take care of her and I wasn't the last one to take care of her. So my immediate reaction, I was like, what, what did they do? (laughs) I was just so angry at first. And then, um, then I just kept crying like over and over. I just kept crying and crying and I just didn't understand why she was dying because she was fine the night before. And then the, um, the base leader, he said that he found a scorpion, a tiny scorpion, where she was sleeping. And so, yeah, she was dying because she got stung by a scorpion. And I just, like, as I was, like, looking at her as she was dying, I thought, immediately I thought back to my grandpa. He died from Alzheimer's and I remember my mom warning me before I saw him. She was like, just so you know, he looks a lot different. And I was like, oh, it's fine, mom. I'll be fine. And I went in the room to see him, and I had to leave right away. I just couldn't look at him. I just kept crying. And so it reminded me, like the baby chick dying reminded me of that, where she just looked completely completely different and I just kept saying over and over I was like I just want I just want to like be there for her as she dies like I want to I don't want her to die alone because I don't think anyone should die alone at least someone should be there for her and um I always cry when I say this but yeah I was like I just want someone to be there and then I remember just like one of the ladies, one of the students just took the chick away. And um, then I just went to cry. (laughs) And um, then I was just telling God, I was like, I I need you to either just like, either she dies now or she heals now because I can't wait. Like I, I can't have this in between because my heart literally is just breaking and I can't take it. And so then I said that, and then I just, like, tried to focus on getting ready, and then it was maybe, like, 
30 minutes after something like that when a student came and got me and she she was just like Paige Paige and we had named the chick <laughs> we named her Naomi <laughs> and so she was like Paige Paige Naomi and I was like just annoyed <laughs> like I was like okay whatever and I just like walked because she was calling my name and so then I walked behind to the other building and she was fine like the baby chick was completely fine she was just walking around she was chirping again like yeah and I was like wait what <laughs> I was like what happened <laughs> and then they were like we prayed for her and I was like, what? <laughs> Wait, what? And they were like, yeah, we prayed for her. And I just remember, like, I just kept crying. <laughs> and then, like, I, just, I was in shock. I was like, what? What is going on? And then um, it just hit me, like, actually weeping is so powerful and I shouldn't be ashamed to feel like I shouldn't be ashamed of my of my emotions because like I definitely like I can be very empathetic and I think just like society and like nobody ever said this to me but for the longest time I just kind of saw tears as weakness and like in that moment it dawned on me like actually that's strength because I know like without a shadow of a doubt those people they wouldn't have prayed for a baby chick if I didn't cry the way that I cried because in that culture like there is so much animism and like ancestral worship and like they like a lot of people there abuse animals and like they'll literally kill animals and like try to talk try to like talk to the spirits and like do crazy things like that and like um yeah so I know they wouldn't have prayed for her if it weren't for me crying in the first place and yeah it was honestly like one of my favorite miracles that I've ever seen in my life. And then later on, actually, I forgot when, no, Darwin. So later on, I went to Darwin for outreach. And the second to last night that we were there, so we were getting ready to come back to Toowoomba, I found out that she actually had died um, later on. And... Yeah, I was so angry with God, honestly, that he would, like, save her and then she would die. But, yeah, I know there's a reason for everything. So, yeah, I guess that's my uh, most rewarding and most challenging experience. And, honestly, I think that's something I'm still working out with God. But, yeah. <laughs> Amen. Well, I'm sure he's going to reveal it in, in his perfect timing and definitely bring you the healing that you need. So uh, you you mentioned some, some really powerful things in the story, uh, but I wanted to ask you, what have you learned about yourself while living abroad? Um... A lot. <laughs> um, yeah. I think this actually goes with the story. So I'm very, very, very passionate about justice. Like, I love justice. And I love mercy. And I just, I love it. I love it so much. And um, with that, like, being in missions you just see things that are so unjust or hear stories of things that are so unjust. And there was this cycle that I think I've been in for like way longer than I've realized of just um, 
of just like seeing something or hearing something that's so unjust and like just asking, just questioning if God is good and just like questioning why is there suffering? Why is there injustice? Like this doesn't make sense. And I, I grew up in church and like I went to a Christian school, so I had to take theology. Like I know the correct answers and <laughs> I know all that stuff. Um, but to actually believe it for me was like something very different. And so actually when I got back from that trip, I had this, this time with God where I was like, I absolutely, I refuse to follow a God that isn't just and isn't merciful and isn't good. And in your word, in the Bible, it says that you are those things. But yet when I look around, I see so many people suffering. I see all of this stuff happening. So I need to believe, like, I need to know that you are just, I need to know that you are good. I need to know that you are merciful. And that actually led to me doing a word study and like on justice, on mercy, on good. And it was interesting because I actually like finished the part on justice when um, I heard about George Floyd. I was like, whoa, this is crazy. <laughs> like all of this is happening at the same time. Um, and I think coming before, before moving abroad, I don't think I saw the significance of, of actually wrestling with God when it comes to the hard questions. Like before, I think I would have just been too scared, honestly, because um, something I've realized is I do see, like I, so I experienced some trauma in a past relationship I was in and, um, coming here, I've realized that, like, I actually do see God, like, wrongly. Like, I actually have seen him as, like, he'll, like, abuse me or, like, he's not safe or whatever it was. And because I have that view, I was scared to, like, come to him with, like, wrestling, with, like, actually going through the hard things with him and just being, like, 100% real. And so I think, um, yeah, living abroad has definitely, like, like my relationship with God, I feel like has just like gone so much deeper. And I just know him in such a way that I couldn't have known him otherwise, because being a missionary really, really pushes you into like, like you're uncomfortable, <laughs> like you're just very uncomfortable because you live in a completely different country. And um, yeah, because of that, I, I've had to cling to God more than I probably ever have had to before. And so, yeah, it's just been so cool just having a shift in perspective and learning how to actually like trust God and learning that he is safe and learning that like, he's not going to leave me, but like actually believing these things because I already knew these things, I guess, from like head knowledge and like growing up in church, but like actually believing these things that I've learned before. Amen. I love that so much. Um, the the name of the, the episode that I mentioned with uh, Lisa is called Called from Comfort. And I think that what you just said perfectly summarizes that aspect of choosing to be a missionary. So I, I salute you for uh, <laughs> being obedient and um, and accepting that call from comfort. Mm-hmm. And so with that, I believe that all black women are superheroes. So what do you believe your superpower is and how has it strengthened during your time living in Australia? I think my superpower is, um, my heart for justice and mercy. Um, yeah. And just my, 
my desire to like want to be a safe place for people. Um, it's definitely, it's strengthened with me just realizing that like mercy isn't weakness and realizing that mercy and justice, like for the longest time, I thought that they were separate and I was confused as to why I was so passionate about both of them. And just over um, my time being here, just realizing that actually they're so intertwined, like it just wouldn't make sense to have one without the other. Like they're so, so intertwined and they're so complex and they're so beautiful, but also simple, which is, doesn't make a lot of sense, but it's okay. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's, yeah. I think I've just learned to like love that part of me, like love that I am really passionate about things like that because like, I don't, like I've never really met a lot of people that are passionate about things like that. And I just felt kind of, weird, I guess, <laughs> for being passionate about that and just learning that actually it's really beautiful and God's really passionate about that. And that's probably why I am too. And um, just really, just really cool getting to learn that about myself. And um, I've noticed just like, as I've learned to become more vulnerable, that others have like, been like, more safe around me, like felt more safe around me. Um, and I just think that's so cool because I just value safety so much. And like, it's really such an honor because I know trusting people so hard. Amen. 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 And, you know, I, I think it's interesting too, that you mentioned that God actually had you studying justice right before everything was brought to light concerning the George Floyd incident. And I think in general, like as believers, we have to, as you mentioned, stay focused on the fact that God is a God of justice. And I know that's something that has definitely given me peace during everything, not just like George Floyd, but even going back to Trayvon Martin and so many countless names and just everything that we see happening within our nation and throughout the world, really being able to cling on to that fact that he is a God of justice. So I love that. Thank you for sharing that. Uh, what do you want people to know about being a missionary that might be different than what they perceive about it? Um, it's a lot harder than, <laughs> than people think and a lot harder than I thought, to be honest. <laughs> um, yeah, there's like, I don't know why. Well, I have an idea, but um, yeah, just... I feel like there's this misconception that a lot of people think it's just like a vacation. Like, I'm just out here traveling, yay. No, it's not. It's really not. Like, it's a job, like any other job, um, except I don't get paid, so I raise support. <laughs> so, yeah, it's definitely not just a vacation. And, um, yeah, I think that's just the biggest misconception that I've encountered with people. And actually, since you mentioned the, the fundraising, we're, we're, we're going to get to that in just a moment because I do want to talk about some of your fundraising projects. But before that, what do you want people to learn or know about Australia beyond the traditional images and stories that we've heard of in the U.S.? And you did talk a little bit about that the Aboriginal people, but if there's anything else you'd like to share, I wanted to make sure to give you an opportunity to do so. Um, I think, well, yeah, a big thing that a lot of people have told me 
when I'm like, oh, you should visit Australia. They're like, everything kills you. That's not true. Like, you know this, you live in Florida. There's literally so many things in Florida that can kill you, but people are fine. They're alive, they're living. So it's the same thing with Australia. Like, you will be all right. Not everything will kill you. Just don't mess with it and you'll be fine. Um, I guess also another thing is, like, before I came to Australia, I was like, oh, it's a first world country. It's westernized. They speak English. They're pretty similar. It's not. It's different. It's not nearly as similar as I thought it was. And it's, like, different in really random ways, I feel like. Like, I'm always just learning random differences. Like, for instance, when I'm around Americans, I say Melbourne. When I'm around Aussies, I say Melbourne. So that's an interesting difference, even though it's literally spelled the same way as Melbourne, Florida. Um, Or, like, even things like driving on the other side of the road or, like, we... In Australia, they don't have sales tax. Um, They have something else. I forgot what it's called. Um, And, like, there's no refills when you get drinks at restaurants. It's just, yeah, a lot of really random differences. So it's not as similar as I thought it would be. (laughs) Yeah. That's that's, uh, very, very interesting. For sure, especially like the the phonetics and just the different aspects of the culture that you're yeah. still learning, uh, and and I'm sure that some of those differences perhaps are amplified even more because you're in a smaller city. Well, another thing, so you you mentioned an aspect of being a missionary, of course, is fundraising, and you are very gifted creatively. And I know that God has allowed you to use your passion to be able to fundraise for your mission's work. So you have a newsletter, which I enjoy reading each month. It's very concise and powerful and and also informative. So can you tell people how they can subscribe to your newsletter, connect with you on social media, or any other platforms that they can use to actually sew into you and, and help with the fundraising uh, for your ministry? So they can add me on Facebook or Instagram. My name there is just Paige Merrill. Um, yeah, so P-A-I-G-E-M-E-R-R. I-L-L. And then they can just, like, message me if they want to be on my newsletter, and I'll just send them. I'll just add them. And then for donations, I use Cash App, PayPal, or World Outreach Ministries. So Cash App and PayPal are both... um, You can't get a tax receipt with it, but with World Outreach Ministries, you can. And my cash app would be dollar sign P-D-J-M-E-R-R-I-L-L. And my PayPal would be P D J. M-E-R-R-I-L-L at gmail.com. And then for World Outreach Ministries, they can donate online at worldoutreach.org slash 757. Perfect. Well, Paige, thank you so much for taking some time out to chat with me about all of your missionary adventures uh, in Australia. Very unique experiences, and I'm sure so much more to come. Just know that you are in our prayers, and 
we love the work that you're doing there. So keep it up. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed this episode of Brown Girl Radiance podcast, please share it with a friend so that we can continue to celebrate and shine together. Brown Girl Radiance podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, TuneIn Radio, CastBox, iHeartRadio, and Pandora. If you want to stay connected to Brown Girl Radiance podcast, you can follow me on Instagram at Brown Girl Radiance podcast. You can feel free to email me at Brown Girl Radiance podcast at gmail.com.